do have a special cause to celebrate. It is Easter. Uh, on Easter, we celebrate the risen Christ, the resurrection. Uh, but not, not just that, because he, Christ rose to new life, not just so that we could have you know, new life someday, but that we could actually have new life today, a, a, a better life. I'm talking about a life transformed. And so I uh, made a promise a couple of weeks back that I wasn't going to teach the traditional Easter story, the, the story of the empty tomb, etc. Uh, part of the reason behind that is something that I don't think that's an awesome story. It's just that I know that, that many of you, you know, go to church a couple times a year, maybe Easter and Christmas, and you hear the same message over and over again. And I thought, well, maybe we could do something a little different today, and we could talk about the life transformed, because while we may have heard of the empty tomb, I wonder if you've heard the story of the life transformed. One example of it uh, actually can be found, it, it, it took place, this is a true story by the way, uh, it took place 30 years, roughly 30 years after the resurrection. 30 years after the resurrection, there was a, uh, a slave. He was a slave and didn't like the fact that he was a slave and so he took some of his master's belongings. So he was not only a slave, but he was also a thief and he escaped, we don't know when, but perhaps you know, like into the night because to be caught would have meant severe punishment, uh, if not death, all right? So this, this slave and former, um, or this thief and former slave heads off, uh, runs halfway around the world. So not like to the next city or the next county, but, but literally halfway around the world, at least the then known world, and uh, goes to Rome, this huge city where his hope is to find freedom, to find freedom lost in this, this huge group of eclectic people. And yet, freedom isn't what he found. Rather, what he found is loneliness, loneliness. I don't know if you've ever been in a very, very large group of people and found yourself very lonely. I know that I experienced that one time. I went to a conference. There were like 75,000 people there, and yet it was one of the most lonely experiences I ever had. I wouldn't call it freedom. I'd call it bondage. I'd call it bondage. So this, this slave and this thief, he escapes, and he thinks he's heading for freedom, and he gets there, and he's lonely, and he's experiencing bondage. And so what he did is what many of us would do. In a situation like that, he began to seek out the familiar. And what he was familiar with was Christianity. Because it turns out that his former slave master had been a Christian. And it always treated him well. It always treated him with respect, even, even love. And so when he heard that there was a group of Christians that are meeting in this guy's house, he wanted to go and be a part of that and check that out. But this was not some ordinary guy. Because this guy, too, was a prisoner. In fact, he was in chains. It's just that the Romans allowed people to come. The guy's name was Paul. Maybe you're familiar with Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament. So over time, this former slave, you know, he becomes friends with these Christians. He's befriended by these Christians, and he begins to learn about um, this Jesus, okay? And he really likes this Paul guy because Paul has, is not just a, a, a prisoner, kind of like he felt like he was when he was a slave, but, but also Paul was like a world traveler. And in fact, Paul at one point had even traveled to Ephesus, which is really where this, this uh, slave, is kind of his hometown is. So Paul's this kind of pretty cool guy, and he begins to learn about, about Jesus, that, that, that he had claimed to be God. He had claimed to be God and that, that he was um, killed on the cross but, but not for anything he had done. You see, this Jesus had lived this sinless life. There was really no reason for him to be killed on the cross. 
But Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for the sins of his followers. This Jesus, it turns out, was God, fully man and yet fully uh, God, combined in one. It's, it's kind of a mystery. But as he began to learn more and more about this Jesus and about Christianity, he decided, you know what? I want this Christ in my life. I want to become a Christ follower, a Christian. And so he did. Somewhere along the way, he gave his life to Christ. Christ would no longer be the Lord, but it would be his Lord. And he would begin following Christ. And he'd begin this process of maturation. He'd, he'd be started growing in his faith. But here's the problem. Over and over again, it, it just seemed like there was something in the way. Like he would start to grow and then he'd bump up against something. And what that something was, was the sin of his past. The sin of his past. He just couldn't get past this, this idea that he had this sin, that he was a slave on the run. And so one day <clears throat> he went to Paul, and I, we don't know exactly what it was like, but it must have been something like this. You know, like, hey, Paul, man, I got to tell you something. I got to get something off my chest. Truth is, I'm really nothing more than a slave, a slave on the run, and a thief at that. He must have been shocked by Paul's response when, when Paul responded and said, well, you know, we're really all nothing more than slaves. Slaves to sin. But if freedom is what you really want, if freedom is what you're looking for, then you have to reconcile that sin of your past. You've got to deal with these things. And so they set about this process of talking about what is it going to look like for a former slave, a thief, on the run, uh, halfway across you know, the, the world, to reconcile this sin. And what he began to realize is that he needed to head on home. But he also began to realize that God was at work in this. Because it turns out, this is really interesting when you think about it, it turns out that, that Paul had not just led this slave to Christ, but Paul had also led the slave's master to Christ many years earlier. On one of those journeys that Paul made, he'd encountered this slave's master and led him to faith. You say, small world. I say, yeah, it is. To God. It really is to God. The slave's name was Onesimus. The master was Philemon. Philemon. This morning we're going to learn an entire book of the Bible, the book of Philemon, It's one page. <laughs> it's one page. All right, yeah. Okay, so what you need to do, though, is you need to raise your hands if you don't have a Bible, okay? If you do have a Bible, start looking up Philemon, because I tell you, it's hard to find. In fact, don't be afraid to use the index, but if, if you don't have a Bible, you are going to want one, so raise your hand high, keep it high until you get a Bible in your hand. If, if you're being handed a Bible, it's page 1106. 1106, don't be afraid to look up Philemon in the index otherwise, and it's spelled P-H-I-L, like Phil, uh, Philemon. While you're doing that, what I want to let you know is that the, the book of Philemon, or the page of Philemon, is actually a copy of an ancient letter, okay? It's a copy of an ancient letter. It is the actual letter that Paul wrote and sent with Onesimus, the slave, as he returned to Philemon, to give to Philemon. And so it was Paul's message to Philemon. And he had something he wanted to share. And what he wanted to share is, would you consider... Would you just consider 
the life transformed. Because you see, I understand that this is a slave, this is a thief, he's stolen from you and he's run off into the night, but would you consider the life transformed? Because the life transformed changes things. Never, or nothing is ever the same after the life has been transformed. This life transformed calls us to action. It calls us to make decisions differently. And it's really the story of what is possible because of the resurrection of Christ. So today we're not studying the resurrection of Christ as much as we're studying the story of what is possible because of the resurrection of Christ. And so this Easter, my goal is that we too might consider the life transformed. In a second, we're going to read the letter. And then what I want to do is I want to draw from it sort of six points of application, or there are six things that I want us to consider in regard to the life transformed. But before we get to that, let's pray. Lord, we give you the glory today. It is Easter, and we do celebrate the empty tomb. We do celebrate the fact that you conquered death and rose again, and that through that, you have offered new life, not just new life in eternity, but new life beginning today, that our lives, too, can be transformed. This morning, we recognize that some of us are slaves. We are slaves to sin. Some of us this morning, we are masters We have control over people's lives. We are bosses and these types of things, business owners. And then finally, Lord, this morning, some of us are friends, mentors, and teachers. So we know that this book is going to have something to say to everybody in this room. And I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you challenge us? Would you tug on our hearts right now this morning as we sit here and listen to your word preached? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, Paul begins his letter, and he has this nice kind of flowery introduction, but because it's Easter and I have to keep time short, we're going to cut that out. All right, no flowery stuff this morning. So skip right to verse 10. We're going to go right to the meat where Paul says this. Philemon, chapter 1, verse 10. I, Paul, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him so that, or I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but rather would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And then he goes on to make a few closing statements, and we're going to cut that out too. Uh, What we need to wrestle with, though, this morning, so we've just heard the bulk of the letter. We've heard the meat of the letter. What we want to wrestle with is what is it exactly that Paul is asking for? Because he kind of has a lot of different things, a lot of different requests, but but really, if you boil it down, there's one thing he says. He says, would you consider welcoming Onesimus as you would welcome me? 
However, that's a pretty significant statement when you consider Paul is the guy that led him to Christ and Onesimus is a slave and a thief that ran off into the night. Would you consider welcoming this thief, this, this former slave, would you consider welcoming him as you would welcome me? In other words, what Paul is asking is, would you consider the life transformed? Would you consider the life transformed? Now, before we go any further, I do want to diverge for just a second, because uh, I want to talk about this issue of slavery. A lot of people read the book of Philemon, and they get all caught up on slavery. And what we do is we, we, we let our experience with slavery, especially early American uh, history of, regarding slavery, we let that influence us in such a way that we really miss the point uh, of the whole book of Philemon. And so what I want you to do is just sort of put that on a shelf for a second. And, and let me just tell you one reason why you should do that. Um, slavery in the early first century was quite different than what we had in early American history. Uh, one, one way that it was different is this. If, if you got yourself into some financial trouble, you know, some really deep financial trouble, what you, what you might consider doing was selling yourself into slavery. That sounds crazy to us, but, but a slave at least gets fed. You know, they get food and water and they get housing, and, and so they might not just sell themselves, they sell their children and their family into slavery because they knew they were going to be taken care of. You see, in the early first century, if you got way into debt, you got to understand there were no bankruptcy laws. There was no way to, to get out of that. Or, or maybe if you suddenly lost your job, you got to know that there was no government-funded unemployment and they weren't going to extend unemployment. In other words, if, if things today were like they used to be, many people in America, including several of you in this room, might very well be thinking, hey, selling myself into slavery right now in our current economic situation is a pretty good idea. Now again, you would be a slave. So not the greatest of idea, but neither is filing bankruptcy, is it? So we need to kind of put this into context. That don't let the emotional impact of slavery in America affect the way you read and think of this text. Now that is not to say that we can't let this text inform us or influence us in regard to a proper Christian ethic about slavery, and we're going to even talk about that in a minute, but don't let it get you too sidetracked. What is the main point? What is the main point? Because Paul wants Philemon to consider the possibility, this is the main point, consider the possibility of a life transformed. All right, let's break down the text before we get to the actual application points. Beginning in verse 10, Paul says this, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. In other words, what Paul is saying right off the bat is that there is this transformation that has occurred. But this isn't just like a small transformation, this is a huge transformation on, on the level of going from you know, like a, a total stranger, somebody I don't even know, to becoming a flesh and blood son. There's this huge transformation that has occurred. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that when we give ourselves to Christ, when we become a Christian and we begin following him, then we enter into a brotherhood and sisterhood, a family of all the other Christians. That's why if you, know, if you head down south, you know, maybe to the Bible Belt, you know, they'll be like, hey, Brother Bob is going to be you know, doing something today, or Sister Sally is going to be bringing potato salad to the church potluck. And when I was first kind of getting introduced to church, that just wigged me out. What are they talking about? 
In the same way, the first time I ever went to an Easter service, like this old lady came up to me and said, he is risen. And I was like, whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> this transformation has occurred. It is a radical transformation going from, I, I don't even know you to you are my son. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. Huge transformation. Would you consider that? The other thing is, Paul says that Onesimus was useless. Now that is not a good thing to say of a friend, right? But think about this for a minute. How many of you have ever had a job, or maybe you're a boss and you've had an employee that was absolutely useless? You know, like you think of somebody else at work and you go, that person is absolutely useless because they don't want to do their job, right? Maybe you've even been that person. Yeah, some of you laugh, because you have. I know that I have. Man, I'll tell you, when I was in high school, I was hired to be a pool boy and a boat boy at this one resort, and one day I just did not feel like doing my job, so I was kicking it back in the hot tub when the boss walked in. I almost got fired over that. And the funny thing about the whole story is that I feel like I'd been treated unfairly, and so I quit. I was useless. That's what teenagers do, you know? Formerly, he was useless, but now he has become useful. You see, there's another side to this. When someone is not a Christian, the odds are they are not going to be out there in the world building God's kingdom. They are useless. Now, I am familiar of one story where a pastor told me one time that, that, that prior to him coming to faith, he had grown up in a Christian home and gone to Christian school and he'd learned all the stuff, he knew all the answers. He just didn't feel like he wanted to follow Christ. He didn't think he needed Christ in his life. And then one day one of his friends came to him and he was all bummed out and depressed and life was going hard. He said, you know what, dude, maybe you should consider becoming a Christian. And the guy did. And so here we have a non-Christian that led another guy to Christ. That's weird. But then later on, Later on, the, the guy accepted Christ and went on to become a pastor and, and tell this story. But I, that's the only example I know of that. Like, in general, someone that is not a Christian, someone that is not a true believer, that is not a follower of Christ, they are not going to be out there furthering the cause of God in the world. They are useless. But then a transformation occurs. And suddenly they're out there sharing their faith. They're out there uh, doing God's work in the world, literally being Christ's hands and feet. Now he is useful. Getting back to Paul's letter. He says, this radical transformation that has occurred. It's gone from the level of a total stranger to becoming family. Onesimus used to be useless. Now he's useful. And then he says this in verse 12. I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. You can sense, like, I don't want to do this. I would have liked to kept, keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Here what Paul is, is getting at is that Although he realizes that Onesimus means so much to him, he's his very heart, and he's so valuable to his personal ministry, that doesn't change the fact that in their time and culture, Onesimus actually belongs to Philemon. He is Philemon's property. 
Now, now what we're getting at is that Paul is saying, hey, you know what? As much as this is going to kill me, I am not going to break the law. It's interesting. You see, as, as you study the Bible, one of the things we learn is that the state is responsible for setting laws and that we as Christians are supposed to follow those laws. Why? Because the state is going to be held accountable to, the, uh, accountable to God. I don't know if you knew that the Bible teaches that, but that's what it teaches. The state is going to be held accountable to God for those laws. Now, we as Christians are supposed to follow those laws. Well, have you ever followed one of those laws and you just went, well, that, that just doesn't seem to be very Christian? Well, neither are you if you break it. You're not following Christ. We're not supposed to do that. As much as it hurts us, as much as it must, might break our heart. You know, I, I, I've seen so many times where, where Christians, I hear them say this, especially when it comes to laws like of separation of church and state. They're like, well, that law is dumb. Jesus wouldn't want it that way. Well, that may be true. And it may break your heart. But we are to follow those laws. Well, there might be, you know, one exception, and that would be if the laws of the state absolutely contradicted God's law. But even in saying that, I kind of, I'm a little careful because I, I don't want to give you too much rope. You see, I would say that would be the exception, not the rule. And I, say, and I know too many people that go, oh, well, this, this, isn't, this isn't God's way. This is breaking God's law. As Christians, like Paul, we are to follow the laws, the rules established, and leave that part of judgment to God, as much as it may break our heart. Paul continues, verse 15, he says this, perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than as a slave, as a dear brother. He's a very dear brother to me, but even dearer to you as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, I want to pause here because I want to be very, 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 very clear about something. I do not believe that Paul is saying this, that maybe God, in his infinite wisdom, had Onesimus break the law, steal things, and run away as a thief so that he would become a Christian. Maybe that was God's plan. Maybe that was God's will. No, that's bad theology. That is very bad theology. I don't believe, and, I, and in fact, I hear Christians say this sometimes, you know, you know, everything happens for a reason. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Or, or maybe, yeah, a reason. You're sinful. Not God wanted it to be that way. God does not want you to sin. But here's the deal. What I do think Paul is referring to, what I do think God does, what is good theology, is that God can take any situation, no matter how bad it is, no matter how messed up it is, and he can transform it, he can redeem it, he can work through it, even a runaway slave, even a thief, he can work through that to bring about great, great things. That's good theology. God never wants anyone to sin. He never wants anyone to, to do bad. But when we do, because we all do, God can work through that. He can redeem that. He can resurrect that. In my years as a pastor, I have known people that have struggled with all kinds of things, all kinds of sins, all kinds of things like divorce, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, sex addiction. 
And then all kinds of pain and suffering and illness and these kinds of things. And yet I have seen God work in amazing and powerful ways to take these absolutely horrible things and bring good out of it. That's the power of the God we serve. That's the power of the resurrection right there. But don't ever think that God wants us to do bad stuff so he can bring about good stuff. No, that's bad. We're talking about the life transformed. And this is the level of transformation that, that can occur in people's lives, but really this is just a glimpse. It is just a glimpse of what is possible because of the resurrection. It's amazing. Let's go back to the text, verse 17. Paul concludes, he says this. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Here he's getting at the fact that I led you to Christ. You owe me your very life. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. In this final section, what Paul is basically doing is reminding Onesimus of something that is very, very important. And that is that if you are a Christian, and yet you fail to show someone else some grace, man, that is going against the very grain of our faith. It's going against the very core of our faith. Because after all, God has shown us grace, more grace than we deserve, more grace than we can handle. Remember, Jesus didn't go to the cross to pay the price for his own sins. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And so if we won't do that for someone else, how dare we? How dare we? What that means is that when Paul offers to pay, think about this, when Paul offers to pay the price for Onesimus, do you know what he's doing? He's offering to be Christ, to be his hands and his feet, to pay that price for him. Just, just charge it to me. That's a mature Christian. That's the life transformed. And that's what we're called to as a result of the resurrection. So Paul's one request to Philemon is that he might consider, just, just consider the life transformed. Consider it. Consider it in Onesimus as a slave. Consider the life transformed. But don't just stop there, okay? I don't want you to just stop and consider the life transformed in him. I want you to consider the life transformed in you. The slave owner, the business guy. And don't stop there. I also want you to consider the life transformed in me, Paul, mentor, teacher, the person that led you to faith. So we need to think about all that today as we move into application. Because there's six things that I really want us to see uh, in regard to this life transformed. Because when, when we experience the life transformed, it begins to change things. It changes things. What does it change? What does it change? Well, six things. Number one, when we consider the life transformed, what we begin to do is we realize that our future doesn't have to be anchored to our past. It doesn't, right? I mean, we see this in Onesimus. Paul says, well, formerly he was useless, but now what? He's useful. He's useful. Our future doesn't have to be anchored to our past. In fact, the letter doesn't tell us the rest of the story. 
But this is one case that's very interesting because history does. And in fact, what I'm saying is that other historical record, uh, records do tell us what happened. And what, what we find out is that Onesimus, this runaway slave, this thief, useless guy, goes on to become a bishop in the early church. A bishop. Now, you may not know what that is. A bishop is a pastor to pastors, a spiritual leader of spiritual leaders. So what this, what this tells us is that as we consider the life transformed, we need to realize that our future, it, it does not have to be anchored in our past. The life transformed says that it doesn't have to be that way. So let me ask you a question. What's your dirty little secret? Philemon, he had this, or not Philemon, but Onesimus, he had this dirty little secret. Paul, Paul, I'm a slave, man. I'm a runaway slave. I'm a thief. But what is, what, what is my dirty little secret? What is the thing that is in my past, or maybe it's many things, that, that just holds me down? Because what this teaches us, whatever that is, doesn't matter how useless you think you are, how useless you feel. The power of God to resurrect is available to you to bring about transformation. That is the message I want you to hear this Easter morning. You can be transformed into something amazing through the very same power that brought about the resurrection. doesn't matter what you used to be. You, your future does not have to be anchored to your past. That's what we see as we begin to consider the life transformed. So what is your secret sin? The second thing. When we consider the life transformed, it encourages us to confront the mistakes of our past that are still keeping us in bondage. The key here is to confront. When we, when we consider the life transformed, it encourages us to confront those mistakes that are still keeping us in bondage. You see, we may give our life to Christ. We may become a Christian, but I know plenty of Christians that are still in bondage, okay? What this is saying is whatever those things are that are still holding you in bondage, you gotta confront those things. Onesimus had, had to ask this question, like, well, what am I gonna do? I gotta stop running. I gotta think about what does it mean to reconcile this sin? Some of us in this room need to stop running. We need to confront those issues that are holding us down, that are keeping us in bondage, because the only way to true freedom is through reconciliation. So ask yourself, who, who, who have you hurt? What have you done? What do you need to go deal with? Because the bondage is still going to be there until you deal with those sins. When we consider the life transformed, it encourages us to confront the mistakes of our past that are still keeping us in bondage today. The third point, when we consider the life transformed, we begin to realize that the blessed life, the life of blessing, is really only found in mature faith. Let me say that again, because this is a pretty complex one. When we consider the life transformed, we begin to realize that the blessed life is really only found in mature faith. We have to think about this, because this is very contrary to what our emotions are telling us. You see, our emotions would tell us this. Our emotions would tell us that the blessed life is not to be found in returning to slavery, right? 
But that is exactly what Onesimus did. To find the blessed life, he went back to that thing. That is so countercultural, so different than what our emotions would tell us. No slave is going to return to captivity to find the blessed life. So this blessed life must be referring to something other than our physical state. Now, it's hard for us to relate to a slave. Many of us can't. But let me put this another way. I think most of us, we can relate to this idea of our emotions telling us that the blessed life is found in things like material possessions, like new houses, new cars, lots of money. That's the blessed life. The blessed life is found in a, in a large retirement account. The blessed wife is found in a very attractive spouse or lots of power or lots of influence. That's the blessed life. And I want the blessed life. But the blessed life is not found in those things. It's not. The transformed, tells, or the transformed life tells us that the blessed life is actually found in something else. It's found in something deeper, something that is different. It's found in mature faith. Because, you see, in mature faith, you can find freedom in slavery. That's the blessed life. Paul found freedom as a prisoner in chains. With maturity, you can find contentment in poverty. That is so against what, what we think. In maturity, we can find joy in the midst of pain and suffering. How is that even possible? Well, the life transformed says that the blessed life is only found in mature faith. Wouldn't you like to experience the blessed life? Wouldn't you really like to experience the blessed life, to kind of get out of the rat race, to stop chasing those other things, to find contentment, to find freedom, to find fulfillment? When we consider the life transformed, we begin to realize that the blessed life is not found in those other things. It is found in mature faith. Fourth point, when we consider the life transformed, it challenges us to examine the social norms of our society in light of our theology. This is the slavery issue, okay? Once we become Christians... The transformed life challenges us to examine these social norms. What does our society say is normal and okay? But we need to look at those things through the lens of our faith. Because really, they're just slavery. Can you think of any? I would say indebtedness. You see, our culture, now we, we're experiencing what perhaps might be a change right now with our current economy, but our culture has told us, hey, man, the way, the way to, to the blessed life, the way to freedom, the way to, to blessing and all this kind of stuff is just use debt. That's a socially normal way to do it. And yet when we look at that through our lens of theology, through Christianity, what we realize is that the Bible doesn't say that debt is bad necessarily, but it says avoid it like the plague. What else? What else is a modern day slavery issue? I would say the use of pornography. And our culture tells us, hey, that's no big deal. 
We joke about it. You can't even watch a sitcom on TV today without them joking about it. Like, everybody does that. That's perfectly normal. Yet our theology tells us that that, that leaves, or that leads to, to slavery, to addiction. So we need to look at these things, whatever they are, substance abuse. We talked about issues of immigration a couple of weeks back. Very emotional issue, and I'm not saying I have the answers. What I'm saying is we have to take these things where our culture goes, hey, this is okay. And we can't, we can't just go, oh, it's okay because our culture tells us it's okay. We actually have to take these issues and go, no, we're going to do the harder thing. We're going to look at it through the lens of our faith and ask ourselves, is this right? Because when we consider the life transformed, it challenges us to look at those social norms and reevaluate them and find out that some of those things are just outright wrong. The fifth point, when we consider the life transformed, it encourages us to consider the true value of people. The true value of people. You see, this looks beyond issues like sex and race and education and and job title. The life transforms us that everybody is essential. They have essential value at the core of who they are. In fact, we're gonna, we're gonna, the next series we're going to do is a series called God at the Movies. And the very first movie we're going to look at, okay? Here's, if God is revealing himself through all of creation, then he must be revealing himself through the films that we see on the big screen. Well, the very first film we're going to look at talks about this issue of essential value. What, what is the value that we have inside? Everybody has value. According to the Bible, there is not a person in this room that does not bring something that is essential to this church. There is no one that does not have value. Final point. When we consider the life transformed, it encourages us to invest in others. You see, Paul invested in Philemon, the master, and Philemon came to see the value in letting a slave go free. Wow. Without that investment by Paul, that never would have happened. Paul invested in Onesimus, and Onesimus went on to become a pastor of pastors, a bishop. And then let's not forget, or maybe you don't even know this, But Paul himself was once useless. When we're first introduced to Paul in the Bible, his name is Saul, and he has a name change. But when he is Saul, he is the most useless person on the planet. Why? Because he hated Christians. He hated them so much, he thought, well, you know what? It'd be better to just round them up and kill them, and that's actually what he did. But God transformed his life. And if you read the Bible, you find out that Paul went away for a few years and some people invested in him. And he wrote most of the New Testament. Considering the life transformed challenges us, it encourages us to invest in others, to remember that everyone's future potential is so much brighter than their past. To remember that through the same power that brought Jesus back to the grave, or back from the grave, God is in the business of transforming lives. That's what he wants to do. That's what we're here to celebrate this Easter. God wants to change us for the better. Don't you want to be a part? The first step 
is giving your life to Christ. See, I do recognize, and I'll just be totally honest, I know that there are some of you in this room that were dragged here this morning by your mom or your neighbor or your friend. Or maybe you go to church, you know, once a year, Easter, or maybe twice, Easter and Christmas. But let me be the first to tell you, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's true. What makes you a Christian is do you recognize that Jesus really was God? Do you recognize that Jesus really was God? But more than that, because the Bible tells us that even the demons, even Satan recognizes that Jesus was God. They're not Christians. Are you willing to put your faith in him? Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to say, well, he's not just the Lord, but he's my Lord, and I'm going to devote my life. I don't know what this means, but I'm going to devote my life to following him because the Bible teaches that Jesus hung on that cross for your sins. Because God wants to have a relationship with you intimately and personally. And those sins were in the way. They were a thing that separates you and God. And then so God said, well, you know what? I'll take care of that problem because you've got a sin problem and you can't solve it on your own. And so I'm going to hang on the cross and that's going to be the thing that's going to cleanse the stain of those sins and allow you to be in relationship with me. And so I am offering you this gift, this gift of me dying on the cross. I'm just giving it to you if you will only take it. And if you've taken it, then then you are a Christian. But if you haven't, you aren't. Doesn't matter if you go to church every day of your life. Doesn't matter how good you are. How do I take it, Eric? Well, just... Just pray to God. Tune out. The rest of the service, you don't need to worry about anything else. Just say, Lord, you know what? I don't get this. Onesimus didn't understand everything. But I just want to follow you. I want to start today. And I'd recommend, come back here. We are going to talk. We're going to do the God at the Movie series, but then the series after that, boy, that's going to be amazing. So I would commit. I'd do this. I'd say, I'm going to come here for the next 10 weeks. Because the series after God at the Movies, which is three weeks, it is a series on what does it mean to follow Christ. So you're going to learn. And some people that are Christians are going to find out things that are just going to shock them. And those of you that are brand new Christians are going to go, oh, this is so helpful because now I know what to do. Oh, oh, good, good, good. And some of you are going to find out, oh, wait a minute, I'm not a follower of Christ at all. I call myself a Christian. I go to church. But I'm not following him. This is the story of the life transformed. It is the story of what is possible because of the resurrection of Christ, and it can be your story if you decide to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we are so indebted to you, so grateful. This morning, we do come to celebrate and rejoice in the fact that you conquered death, something that we can't do, and yet... We learn in the Bible that all of us will be resurrected. And that we, if we are your followers, if we are Christians, we will get to spend eternity with you. 
that the weight of sin will be lifted, not just from us, but from all of creation, that, that literally it, it is your kingdom revealed, that it, it has begun, it's not fully here yet, but it is coming. So this morning, as I close my message, I just pray that you would help us to remember that. That you'd help us to consider the life transformed, the life transformed in ourselves, the life transformed in others, and what that means to us. Challenge us, Jesus. Help us to not leave here today the same as when we walked in. We pray this in your precious name.